in the morning when you need the news that matters most. We have a constitutional right to publish this story. We are the fourth estate and we will hold the powerful accountable. You need the front page. Wait, what's the fourth estate? Us, the press. And everyone knows that? On the press box. Because I feel like people always say the fourth estate, but they don't actually know what it means. I think everybody knows what it means. I thought the fourth estate was time. That's the fourth dimension. I thought the fourth estate was Georgia. With Graney and Bischoff. No, not state, a state. You thought I was saying we're the state of Georgia? Tiger Woods says he can win the Masters. It appears as though he is going to tee it up and actually give this a shot. He's got a tee time and everything. Do you think he can actually win the Masters, though? No chance. Oh, no I chance. I mean, I know why he says it, because I don't. I think someone like him is not going to play unless he thinks he can win it. But that's like a six-mile course, and they said he was kind of walking gingerly the other day when he played with couples, and I think Justin Thomas. And you're saying, let's say he makes a cut over four days, he's going to walk six miles on that leg and hip after the accident. I think the I think the the ball strike. I think that's going to be okay unless he gets really tired. I mean, I think he can play in that sense. But the walking that long on a daily basis after he came back from that injury 14 months later with the leg, I think that would take too much out of him for him to win it. I mean, I you know he can make the cut obviously, but for him to win it, I don't think he has any chance to win it. I like uh, speculation uh, medical degrees here. Um, sure. Do you do you think he can finish? Like, even if he doesn't win cool. or really contend at the top, can he finish the entire weekend if he makes the cut? That's a great question. Like I said, I, I, I knew I've been to Augusta, and it's kind of there's up and down hills. And, you know, I mean, he's he has to walk it. I think, you know, if you're a media person, you just kind of go to the hole you're going to follow someone at. But it's not like an easy walk. And I'm telling you, he to come back in 14 months from that i don't know if he can finish i mean you asking like if he made the cut could he gut it out or like you know on the third day yeah. he just can't do it anymore i mean i don't know i i think danny's shaking his head no i think it's hard <laughs> I don't like believe i so just because in the press conference right after he said i think i can win he also said right now the hardest is walking because of his <laughs> leg and his back like i i wouldn't be honestly surprised if he plays Hey, was he tee off tomorrow morning at like 6 or 7 a.m. Right. Pacific time? Like, I wouldn't be surprised if during our show tomorrow he's withdrawn or he plays and, and withdraws after playing 18 tomorrow. Like, that, I don't know. It wouldn't be that surprising given where he's coming from, but it's exciting that he's playing. Oh, I it's I, great that he's playing. I want to watch him. I mean, I, my buddy's covering it. Uh, Calmness is covering it. And he goes, What do you think? And I said, He goes, Is it bad? I said, Look, anytime he plays, it's better for anything. I mean, like, you, I, <laughs> come on. I hope on Sunday it's uh, Tiger Woods is like within five strokes of the lead at some point. That that good enough to get people. Bury my hot take. <laughs> oh, Next wait. question. Standing in your corner. Next question. All right, here's a story from Mark Anderson of the Review Journal. Las Vegas can't host the college football national championship game until they expand beyond four teams, and the reason for this is because CES, the Consumer Electronics Show is in Las Vegas. It's the same weekend as the national championship game is currently scheduled. And it is too popular, basically, to have another big event in the city at the same time. So basically, we can't host CES, or we can't host the national championship game 
until either CES moves or the national championship game moves, which it could move. The title game could move if they expand. So if they add more teams, push the national championship game back, it could move. But what the hell? We're not going to host this because we have a, we have too many events already. Well, I don't think CES is moving. Right? So that's not moving. It's <laughs> way too many people, way too much money. Um, is this a situation also like with the, not as much as the NCAA tournament, because the NCAA tournament is several days, but uh, the Super Bowl, that there's also the, you know, thinking that you want to host it, but you have so many people in, in town anyway watching it and at the, at the, at the, um, at the casinos that it, it's not that big of a difference. I mean, I want them to host it, but so many people come here to watch it anyway. I don't think, especially when CES here, I don't think they're losing out on much. Right. It's it's the exact example of why, like when, whenever there's an event coming to Vegas or when they were building Allegiant Stadium and it was like, oh, we're going to bring this many visitors. It's going to have this much economic impact. Like Steve Sislak was just saying it about F1 bringing 170,000 people for the F1 race in Las Vegas. And it's like, okay, there might be 170,000 people that come because of that race. But if we didn't have the F1 race, it's not like Las Vegas would be empty. No. It's not like there no. wouldn't be anybody here. People still come here. So when you have an event and it brings visitors, you are basically kicking people out. There are people that yes. don't come right. because there's a different event here. And this is a perfect example of that, where we have massive events already. And bringing the college football national championship game is not going to add more visitors than CES would. So Absolutely not. It's it's not a case of oh we're empty and when we have an event now we're full. No, we're we're pretty much full all the time. Maybe you can charge some more money. A hotel can charge more money because an event's here. So it's almost always why the economic impacts are overstated by people putting on events. Because, oh, there would have been people here anyways. There would have been people spending money in Vegas anyways, even if we didn't have these events. And listen, if we're getting an event for free, then great. We'll take all the events we want. The problem is when public money goes to pay for these events and they justify the public money by saying, but look at all the tourists that are coming when they ignore that tourists would have well, been here anyways. And that's one of the huge misnomers about building these stadiums in terms of economic impact, especially in a city like this, like you said, that it gets so many people. I guess if you're building one in Des Moines and the college football <laughs> player, and a lot of people come into Des Moines, no offense, but you know, maybe there's an economic impact, but people uh, who you know, are against public money for stadiums, that's the first thing they laugh at is the economic impact numbers. Yeah. And Especially in this town. Right. It's half a billion dollars from F1. It's not going to happen. I do think that F1 should put a track in Des Moines, Iowa. Race yes. through the cornfields yes. of Des Moines. Absolutely. That I, would be awesome. I, yeah. that And they might actually draw 170. Would you want it through cornfields more people. than the strip? I'd want it through cornfields more. <laughs> oh, yes. Actually through the cornfields. Yes, you have to, be, you have to make your own track yes. through the cornfields. As long as they don't put anything on the ground, we got to see the tires sliding. It's got to be on <laughs> yes. the actual corn. On the they actual corn field. Cement. They can't no, do anything. Absolutely not. Next question. The Lakers They're out. Uh, have, have been officially eliminated from the playoffs. They lost to the Suns yesterday. That coupled with a Spurs win, and the Lakers have officially been eliminated. A report from Bleacher Report before that game was that the Lakers are expected to part ways with Frank Vogel at the end of the season. Is yeah. Vogel the problem? I don't know if Vogel's the problem. I heard Magic Johnson yesterday say, uh, he goes, well, we know we all know Frank's getting fired. But he said <laughs> um, he didn't think Vogel was the main problem. Um, 
injuries. And what he said was, it was a bad, Magic said, okay, you have your superstars and they're probably not going anywhere. It's all the guys around them. He yeah. said they're terrible oh. players. I mean, Stanley Johnson can't score. I'm watching Augustine last night. I'm I'm like, you got to be, these are the dudes they put around these guys. Not to say again, you know, I was just watching first take and, you know, there's a question, did LeBron do enough for them this year? And I think that it goes back to the injuries or if they thought he should have played more. But I don't think it's 100% Frank Vogel. I, I know it's not 100% Frank Vogel, although he'll get fired. LeBron James has missed a lot of time this year. Anthony Davis is going to play like 40 games. Yeah. Anthony Davis is going to play like half he's always the season hurt. this year, which is unreal to think that he's going to play half the season. Um, like, that's the biggest issue for this team. And then, like you said, the roster construction is not good. They sort of went all in on the idea of a big three with Russell Westbrook. Right. And Russell Westbrook has not been any good whatsoever. And so because of that, they don't have as good of a roster around. They, they would have been better off with the big two, LeBron and Anthony Davis, and then just more or better role players than what they have. But because they went all in on Russell Westbrook, it cost them more good role players and it hurt the overall construction of the team the point is none of that has anything to do with frank vogel not one bit no. of that has anything to no. do with frank vogel but he's the one getting fired so question for you lebron put out on friday april 1st fool's day put out a tweet saying he's shutting it down for the rest of the season I don't think he's played since. He might have played Friday night or Saturday, but I'm not sure. But I know he's been out the last two games. Do you think he sits the rest of the season? Does he need to play more games to qualify for the scoring title? That yes. He sure. I actually, I heard, I was watching the game last night. I believe Stu Lance said two more, which okay. means, and who's, I think Embiid's like point something points behind him. But yeah, I think he, yeah, and Giannis is right there. They're yeah. all. Like so within, I think Stu Lance said he needed two more games to be eligible, which, I mean, you can't bring him back for any of these games. Oh, bring him back. Stupid. Come on. Win the scoring title. Yes, let's do it. What, what's he going to do? He's not going to get hurt and can't play next year. He'll be fine. I'd bring him back. If I'm LeBron, I'm coming back. and I'm go I am shooting every possession. I'm scoring 70, so I win the scoring title. Man, you know, that's a great question. Think I want Malik Monk taking shots? Get out of here. <laughs> Uh, you don't Saint, want Stanley Johnson. St. <laughs> Peter's had three players into the transfer portal, including their leading scorer and including Doug Edert, the white guy with the mustache from the NCAA tournament. Oh. I kind of feel bad for St. Peter's now. They go on a run and now oh, they lose their players. coach and now all the players yeah. are leaving. Like St. Peter's is going to win four games next you year. Watch that. You watch that tournament. If you're UNLV, do you take Doug Edert? Well... We'll get to Bischoff's briefs later. They'll take anybody they can get at this point. <laughs> Jeez, they gonna land anybody in the transfer portal? What are we doing here? Come on, it's April six. I like land the kid's mustache. Maybe he comes to Vegas with that stash. That would be fun. That would <laughs> be fun. Be I haven't, I haven't seen the tweet that says uh, these schools have reached out to Doug Edert and has seventy schools on it, and UNLV's no. is one of them. No, um, but yeah, probably. I mean, what do you? What are you? I think they have necessarily guaranteed better players than Doug Edert on the roster right now. So, yeah, I'd take him and their leading squad. I'd take all of them. Just take the whole roster. I wonder if Shaheen Holloway just takes everyone at Seton Hall. Says, guys, yeah, just and come over with me. That, I think, is is a potential here where, where I don't know how many of them end up transferring, but where you're probably going to see one, if not two, three, four guys leave St. Peter's and go to Seton Hall. Because, listen, if I don't blame any of the kids. If I was at St. No. Peter's. And Seton and, Hall wanted me? And, yeah, I'd and be gone. Literally, 
anybody wanted me that wasn't yeah. St. Peter's, I, I'd be gone too. I'd yeah. be like, oh, you want me to sit on the bench at Rutgers? Oh, I will do that yes. too. Great question. Thanks, Thank question. you. Tyron Matthew visited the Saints yesterday. My only question is, what happened to all those tweets from Max Crosby and Jermaine Elmanor about him signing with the Raiders? Obviously, they're not uh, they're not an inspirational enough with the tweet with the tweet. Yeah. this is unreal. Come on, I Ra- thought uh, I saw this morning a tweet that uh, they're still the Raiders are in the background still talking to him and Stephon Gilmore. Um, they are. Well, that was the tweet, and I, you know, it could have been a blogger. I'm not sure. Do they have any money left to do that? Half the time I look at the tweets, I'm like, I don't know who that person is. Is this real or not? Um, Are they going to have to trade Carr to do that? Well. (laughs) (laughs) Get him out of here. I got a hot tape for you. Oh, I'm excited for those. 174, 185, 156, 139. The spring batting averages of Belt, uh, Betts, Muncy, oh boy. JT, oh boy. and Bellinger, what? they will not win the West. Have Why you, are you randomly looking up spring training have you, batting have averages? You, well, I wanted to know if they beat the Angels last night. Um, <laughs> have you seen this preseason? This is not good. This is not good at all. And, and it doesn't matter. You know that, right? I, I, I'm not happy right now. I, I, I'm very it's spring worried. training. Who do, they play, who do they open the season with? At Colorado. Oh, my God. They're going to be 3-0 and to start the season, <laughs> and you're Colorado. worried about this? Oh, with that ballpark, with the with the altitude, they could they're lose 11-10. No, they're going to hit 750 as a team. The Rockies oh. aren't even going to get out of the third inning in any of those games. They're going to, they're is... going to be the first run rule in the history of Major League Baseball. I just, I, I'm looking at these averages, and it's just it's oh killing me. I, I, was up, I was up late, late last night uh, <laughs> thinking about this. Uh, you're the only delayed. guy, the only you're two delayed guys, in the Houston airport yelling at the batting yes. averages of spring training. The only two guys who hit well at all events the regulars in spring training were Freddie Freeman and uh, and uh, Taylor. That's it. Oh man, are you, ser- are you are you really doing this right now? I'm at I'm least wait you. till at least wait till tomorrow or Friday when they <laughs> lose a game or something. At least let Bellinger go over three and with three strikeouts in a real game, not a spring training game. Come on. They're going to be fine. They're going to be fine. Right. They got the best lineup in the history of the sport. It's my hot take. I'm just very, oh, I'm just very, very stressed right now. All right. Coming up next, Adam Hill really wants to trade away Darren Waller. The NFL draft is at the end of the month. Unfortunately, the Raiders don't have any high picks in that draft. So mock drafts aren't as much fun for the Raiders. Um, and earlier in the week, we talked about Adam Hill's mock draft his in first the one. Review Journal. His fir- oh, well, very important. He's first, first one of this year. He's done it in the past. First yes, one of this year. Yes. Um, so, in that mock draft, Adam Hill wrote, In a draft day stunner, we predict the Raiders <laughs> will ship star Darren Waller to the tight end needy Titans to get back into the first round. Uh, so that would land the Raiders the 26th pick in the first round. And Adam then selected N'Kobe Dean, a linebacker from Georgia, <laughs> with the 26th I love mock pick. drafts. They're great. They're yes, phenomenal. They're you can do, you can do whatever you want with them. Yeah, it you doesn't, can just make doesn't matter. It's great. But we have talked about the idea of the Raiders trading away a Darren Waller. Uh, Josh McDaniels said, uh, well, two weeks ago at the NFL meetings, you know, don't rule out that they can get back into the first or the second round, even though they traded away their first and second round picks. So let's start here. Uh, do you believe Darren Waller is worth a first round pick? If the Raiders put him on the block, would they get a first round pick offer in return? They might get him. They might get one, but he'll be 30 years old in September. I'm not so sure he's worth a first round pick at this point. 
I would be curious to see. I, I think there's a chance. Like I think they this, could get it. In this scenario, right, it was the 26th pick. It was a late first-round mm-hmm. pick. I, I think there's always the chance that a team late in the first round says, you know, we don't really like anybody that's left. Uh, let's make a move. Or they do it before the draft saying, we don't think there's going to be anybody we like that's uh, around at 26. Let's uh, trade this pick away to Darren Waller. There are a couple of issues as to why Waller might not get a first-round pick. You mentioned his age, right? There's a good chance that Darren Waller's best seasons are behind him now. But also, he's going to need a new contract. He's got two years left on his current deal. He is underpaid given his production. And I would guess it doesn't happen this year, but most likely Darren Waller is a holdout candidate if he does not have an extension next offseason. So if you trade for Darren Waller, you are trading for Waller and then presumably giving him a new contract. So it becomes the Devontae Adams trade the Raiders made, the Tyreek Hill trade that the Dolphins made, where you're giving up significant draft capital. You're giving up that first-round pick, and then you're paying the guy as well. So you're losing draft capital and salary cap space to make that move. I I don't know that it's for sure that the Raiders would get a first-round pick for Darren Waller. But... Let me ask you this. If you could get a second round, would you move him? So, I don't think... I don't think I would for a second-round pick. Um, But, okay. And it goes back to... It's the the same question that I've had the entire offseason. What's your goal for this season? The Raiders, by trading for Devontae Adams, signing Chandler Jones... Their goal is to, they're, they're all in for this year. Right. They're trying which to means win it. you're probably not trading Darren Waller for anything because you're all in for this season. But in terms of the overall health of the organization or what's best for the actual organization, because I don't think they can win the Super Bowl this year, you're probably better off trading Darren Waller this offseason because the reasons we just gave as to why a team wouldn't give up a first round pick are the reasons the Raiders should be trying to trade him if his value is still that high. He's 30 years old, right? This is not a a young tight end who's about to hit his prime. Darren Waller's probably already hit his prime. Darren Waller's probably going to be less of a weapon than he was for those two years where he had 1,000 yards and 100 catches. So if you're... And then the other part of that is giving him the contract, the, the big extension that he's probably going to get. Do you really want to give a tight? Do you really want to be paying uh, top three wide receiver money and top three tight end money to Darren Waller and Devontae Adams? And then throw on top of that, Hunter Renfro exists. You're going to have to pay Hunter Renfro if you want to keep him as well. So if you're the Raiders and you look at Darren Waller and you decide, we don't want to pay him, we don't want to give him that extension, then you absolutely should trade him for a high draft pick. And this year, probably more than any because you traded away your first and your second. Like you should absolutely be trying to trade him for a high draft pick because you're not going to get the value out of him if you're not willing to pay him. So I I mean, I think you make the best point in that. I don't think they can tell their fans. We got Devontae Adams. We're trading Darren Waller, especially for a first year coaching staff, a first year GM, as well as much as Waller's beloved by the fan base. That's what you're going to do. You're going to go get Devontae Adams. Like you said, some of the guys they've signed, they're going to sign Derek Carr, and you and you and you you ship out, you know, uh, the, your tight end who's been really, really good. That would be really hard to do. That the, right. people would say, then why did you make the other moves? <laughs> so, so that they could trade him away. Yeah. Um, it's I think the 
the main way you could sell it, and one that would actually make sense, is if you did get a first-round pick for Darren Waller, and then you drafted a starting offensive lineman. Because I I believe, and, and again, the, the variance of play from a rookie offensive lineman, we just saw Alex Leatherwood not be any good. Right. But if you told me that they got an above-average uh, tackle in the first round because they traded away Darren Waller, I do think that could carry a lot more value to the Raiders. Than if they pick than, a linebacker. Well, yeah, than picking a linebacker, but also than Darren Waller. Because it like just imagine if the Raiders did in fact trade away Darren Waller, you still have Devontae Adams, you still have Hunter Renfro, right? You still have two good pass catching options. You, it's not like you're depleted at guys that can catch the ball. And you have Foster, Foster Moreau, Moreau, who is not Darren Waller by any means. But if you think about it from a positional strength standpoint, Foster Moreau is a better tight end than Alex Leatherwood or Brandon Parker are at right tackle. And so if you told me you have to start one of Alex Leatherwood or Foster Moreau next year, I'm picking well, Foster you're Moreau. picking Foster Moreau. Sure. So Every time. From that st- again, it's not that Foster Moreau is a, a star tight end in the making. Foster Moreau would probably be an average tight end, but average tight end with above average right tackle is probably more valuable to this team than really good tight end and Below god-awful average right or tackle. awful right tackle. Right, which is what they had last year. So I think there's a legitimate argument for trading Darren Waller. I think there's a lot of reasons that it makes sense for the Raiders to do that. But like you said, the hardest part is to be, hey, we're all in on this year, and we traded away Darren Waller. That doesn't match up very well. So I'd be surprised if they did it. And I will make this one last point. The Raiders trading away their first and second round picks, it it really hurt the media of Las Vegas for the next month here. Like we're we're hosting the NFL draft and we don't even get to talk about the Raiders making a first round pick. What, yeah, what's that's, that? I have to write something to the <laughs> Thanks a lot for uh, ruining the party. I mean, you're gonna sit around for two days or a day right. to, to to see their first pick if they don't make any moves at all. I that's mean, not very good. Especially Adam the Hill. year the year you host the draft. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Adam Hill in his first mock draft has to be like, well, I got to get the Raiders in here. What do I do? Trade Darren? By his fourth edition, he's going to have traded Derek Carr. Carr's going to be gone, and they're going to be drafting Desmond Ritter. By that fourth edition, it's a month later. He won't even be signed. He should at that point. Maybe you should trade Derek Carr. He probably won't be signed by then. All right, coming up next, John Von Tobel joins the show to talk some NBA. Joining us now, John Von Tobel. Follow him on Twitter, at MeJVT. All right, I don't want to spend too long on this because we've done it way too much this season, but it does feel important this morning. The Lakers have missed the playoffs. There's been a report that Frank Vogel's getting fired at the end of the year. How much blame actually does lay on Frank Vogel's shoulders? Uh, the best way I have seen it put with Frank Vogel is you have changed the tires on a total car. Like, congratulations. <laughs> you, there's there's a lot more wrong with this team, this franchise's roster, than Frank Vogel's issues. And it's it's funny because the Lakers faithful, like everything falls at the, the feet of Frank Vogel. Like he didn't have this team winning a title two seasons ago as a top five defensive team each of the last two seasons when he had a roster that fit his style, right? When you actually had guys who wanted to defend and play a really good, gritty style of basketball that led to their success each of the last few seasons. So it, it doesn't make that big of a difference. I think the bigger issue is that the Lakers have turned their front office over to Clutch Sports and LeBron James, right? and that's what led to this, right? It's what led to you acquiring Russell Westbrook as opposed to maybe a Buddy Heald and building a team out like that 
it's what led to you kind of putting together a flawed roster because you have left in charge people who don't really construct rosters. You're allowing them to make decisions for you. So I just, I really don't have faith. Like Poinka hasn't done that great of a job. He's clearly backed down in terms of decision makings to whatever LeBron wants. And so now Frank Vogel gets to be the scapegoat. But if you're going to continue to make decisions the way that they have each of these last seasons, then I just don't see how this is getting fixed anytime soon. I can't tell you the context, but it was on uh, TV this morning. I just looked up, and the question was, did LeBron do enough this season? Uh, we know that I don't know if he's going to come back to try to get the scoring title, but where does that sit with you? Are, do you think they're talking about the injuries? They're talking about the roster? I mean, I, that it surprised me, the question in the beginning. And so then I thought it started to think of reasons. Has he done enough for them? Did he do enough for them this year? I think if you're talking about on the court, Ed, you're, you're focusing on his level of play defensively, and I think essentially down the stretch, right, because cantankerous LeBron showed up in a really big way, I would say, over his last, like, 15 to 20 games or so. You know, the LeBron that when you're watching the games and the possession goes down the floor, he's still on the other end of the floor either complaining or walking or not really doing anything. You know, the LeBron that doesn't really feel like closing out on guys. You guys remember, I think it was two seasons ago, I think it might have even been his last year, or it should be his first year with the Lakers, where there was that great viral moment where I think it was a Grizzlies game, he didn't feel like closing out on a guy, so he grabbed one of his teammates and shoved him to close out on the guy instead. Like, that LeBron James showed up on defense this year. And it seemed to me, Ed, that it was pretty clear over the last 10 games or so that the mission was not so much team success, like, let's get the scoring title. And let's see, right? right? Like, they have three games left, and if he decides to come back and play in two of them just to qualify for it, then we kind of get our answer to that question. I think it would look relatively bad if LeBron sat out these last few games with elimination on the line, then he comes back for two meaningless games just to qualify for a scoring title. So I think if you're saying he didn't do enough, I think it definitely is on the defensive end where there were nights that he definitely could have tried a lot harder to put his team in a better position to, to succeed. All right, in the East, what is a realistic ceiling for the Nets? How far can that team go if they have to come out of the play-in round? Oh, I mean, realistically, it's a very slim possibility, but they could still win the Eastern Conference. But the problem is, Tyler, is you need, like, Herculean efforts from Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving on every single night for that to happen. So, like, is it potentially possible that Kevin Durant goes on a tear and for two series averages, like, 37, 40 points a game? I mean, he's got the skill to do it, but, I mean, the realistic probability of that happening, it's not really great. I mean, you even go back to last night, right? So last night they're playing the Houston Rockets, and they don't cover a seven point favorites and on the surface you look at their defensive rating it was like 109 like 108 and you're like oh that's pretty good but then you realize that kevin porter jr and jalen green combined for 66 points on 51 percent shooting you're like oh yeah they they really couldn't contain the two young guards that they had like they're going to have a problem defensively in any series that they face whether it's miami whether it's boston anybody that they're going to take on they don't want to see milwaukee early because milwaukee matches up very well with them so it's just it's going to take some monster effort from Kevin Durant. I mean, two nights ago, they played Atlanta, and they lost that game despite the fact that Kevin Durant scored 55 points. And he's going to have to do that almost every single night for them to barely get by. So, I, like, is it possible that they win the Eastern Conference? Yes. But is it probable? Absolutely not, especially given the grind that they're going to have to go through. And, like, the last note on it, too, you know, their most used lineup with Kyrie and Kevin Durant out there. Uh, it is those two. It is Seth Curry. It is Bruce Brown. It is Andre Drummond. They have an offensive rating of over 125. It's a tremendous offensive unit, but their net rating is just under two because they just cannot defend, and I think that's ultimately going to lead to their downfall. Will we ever see anything great again or at least good again from Ben Simmons? Like, Where do you pr- predict his future? I, I think so. Like, I just So much has been lost at him, like you know, how he handled the end of the Philly thing and, and this whole season and the mental fragility potentially of you know, everything he's dealing with. 
But at the end of the day, we're talking about a six foot ten guard essentially that can defend every single position on the floor, at least even just being like a defensive specialist who can lead your offense in transition and run the show somewhat. I think you can definitely see some really good things. And that's the other thing, too, right? Just think about the role. If he comes back fully healthy next year and Kyrie and Kevin Durant are both there, you're talking about him being the third wheel and not really having to play a role like he did with Philly. Like, Philly, he was number two, and he needed to have some pretty big nights. And there were times that he did, but often he would kind of shrink in those really big playoff moments. Here, now it's just, look, man, like, run the show when we're running up and down the floor, find Kyrie or Kevin Durant, and on defense, just whoever we need you to guard, go guard them. And I think he could kind of thrive in a role like that, especially when you're talking about being the third option as opposed to being forefront and center with all the pressure that comes. And playing in, I hate these narratives, okay, but playing in a city like Philadelphia where you could be 41-1 and and then you lose that game and you could be getting booed off before that night, like that's probably you know pretty tough to handle on a night-to-night basis. I think it's a much better environment for him here. So I would say, yes, you could still get something from him. Now, the back issue is kind of troublesome, right? You're talking about an epidural. You're talking about this now being a really a very real thing, and back issues have really hampered a lot of players. But I think if he's healthy, he could still be an extremely good player in this league. It uh, feels like it's uh, pretty wide open as to who could win the title going into the postseason like last year. Uh, what's your number of teams that could actually win the NBA championship? Is it less open than I think it is? I would say I'll probably go with – I'll go with like – Four and a half. Like so, we've got Phoenix, we got Milwaukee. Those are the obvious choices. Uh, you could throw um, Brooklyn there. Excuse me, Brooklyn. You could throw Boston in there, especially if Robert Williams comes back uh, and is healthy. If they move on to the second round, and he's just as impactful as he was. Actually, four and a half might be a little strong. I'll go with three and a half because then wow. then you have like the looming specter wow. of the Golden State Warriors. Because I just feel like like when you look at like let's realistically look at the rest of this, right? Like Miami, for example, they're the number one overall, they're the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. But they're a really poor half-court team. They've been disjointed all year long. Their starting five is tremendous defensively when they're out there. But when they have their starting five, and they've changed it around now, I think Max Struess is probably going to be in there as opposed to Duncan Robinson. So maybe those things get fixed. But you're talking about a team that in the half-court guys, their offense rating in the half-court is abysmal. It's like in the 80s. And then you're talking about you know their overall offensive rating with those five out there. And I haven't checked this for like a week, but it was hovering around a point per possession. It's just... It's not a great dynamic offensive team, and so I think that ultimately holds them back. You know, so you, maybe you could throw them in there, and that you get to that four and a half mark. But I just think ultimately, like I've been staring at a rematch of last year in the face. Phoenix has just been so dominant. The Western Conference around them, outside of Memphis, kind of seems to be crumbling. Like Denver's defense has fallen apart over the last month. We know what's been going on with Utah and these blown leads. Steph Curry is going to be reevaluated at some point this week, but we know the magic word of reevaluated doesn't mean that he's going to come back. So maybe he's back. Maybe he's not next week. I just think everything is setting up for two teams that met last year in the NBA Finals to meet once again. I think that's Milwaukee and Phoenix. So I think the number's a lot shorter than we thought it was going to be like two weeks ago. Oh, so it is not my, as wide open as I uh, thought. My, my <laughs> no, I mean, what, what, Tyler, what did you? What, what were you thinking? Like, did you think? Because I like, I honestly think that like, if we're talking about like the mobility of teams in the actual playoffs, right? Like, would it be really surprising to see Phoenix and like Dallas face off in the Western Conference or Phoenix and Memphis? Like, I think there's a lot of mobility within the playoffs themselves. But once we talk about getting to those conference final series and getting to the NBA finals, I just think it's hard for some of those teams to win those series against those elite teams, you know? Yeah, and I I think it's more that I want the Memphis Grizzlies to like win yes. a title because I yes. think that would be really fun, and I'm trying to make myself believe they can. Yeah, well, I, see, and here's like, so I think Memphis has the potential. What I'm more curious about with Memphis is like, 
you know, when, when these games get to slower half-court settings and you're talking about teams game planning for you on a night-to-night basis, what does this team look like in those settings? Because if you look at them from like a, a statistical breakdown, they love to get out in transition. It's what they thrive on. And their area of the floor that they use for offense is like that floater area of the floor. It's like they're the floater kings. They love that short mid-range area. And in the NBA, in the regular season, when you're playing, you know, Team X on a Wednesday night or whatever, and you're a super young team, you want to win every single game, that really works. But then when you're talking about the slog of a best of seven, where you're playing the same team over and over again, like, how does that really operate? And the other thing is the offensive rebounding. Like, the offensive rebounding for them has been so good. But again, when you're talking about teams getting hyper-focused on keeping a Steven Adams out of the paint and boxing him out, or playing bigger lineups and focusing on that on a night-to-night basis, can you continue to do that? Because then once those two things go away, then I think Memphis, we're going to see some of the flaws that that team has. They look really good, they're young, and they want to win every single game. But once you get into that grind of a slow playoff series, I wonder if that starts to hold them back when you're talking about like a second round against the Dallas, potentially, or a Western Conference Finals against the Phoenix Suns. How much of a runaway is MVP? I don't think it's that big of a runaway. Really? I don't know if you guys have like been paying attention to the, the last week that Giannis had, those two games for Philly and, and Brooklyn against Brooklyn. I mean, he was tremendous. The, the block against Joel Embiid, he had what was it, like 41-14 and 14 in that game. And then ultimately the Brooklyn game with the step-back three to tie that and then the free throws at the end. Like Those were two really big MVP moments. And I would say this, you know, we were talking about this on the show the other day. I think it'll, I think a lot of people will be surprised to see at least for sure. I think Giannis has surpassed Joel Embiid. I think Joel Embiid is looking at a third-place finish potentially in his MVP race after he had been the odds-on favorite at one point, after it looked like he was going to run away with it. And the thing that bugs me, Ed, is with Jokic, I don't know if you guys saw the, the, bon, the Bontemps uh, uh, straw poll, like about, what, two weeks ago or so? There were three clowns who decided to put Jokic fifth on their ballot. <laughs> and Bontemps on Windhorse Podcast explained that those three people said that because they were sixth, he did not deserve to win the yeah. award. And that's, that is the most foolish line of thinking I can ever think of. But the troubling part is, is that those people have votes. Right, and there's yes. going to be more people like that who have yes. votes, and I think that ultimately makes this a little bit tighter. I think Jokic is still going to win it, but I think it's a little bit tighter than we think it is. Well, he is John von Tobel. Again, follow him on Twitter at mejvt. You can hear him over on Vsin. John, as always, we appreciate it. Great stuff. Thanks, Good to John. Talk to you guys, take care. That, that's why, again, I'm telling you, oh, people, this is no, this has become your, your yes, your path in life to people make this other go than away. players, coaches, whoever <laughs> that know what the hell they're doing should be voting for these things. They're also idiots, too, though, Ed. We're all idiots. But Just... We're all idiots, but I don't know if... Do you really think a player would put uh, Jokic sixth or fifth and say, well, he's sixth place? I don't know if a player would do that. I, 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 especially playing against him and how incredible he is. I don't know if a player would do that. Media? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> yes. Just leave him off entirely. Just, yeah. Yeah. Go he all in six. and just leave him off entirely. Don't LeBron won a scoring title. I'm voting for him. That's right. Put LeBron first because he came back and scored 65 in each of the last two games after they were already eliminated. That would be great. I am, I will say, a little disheartened that uh, John told us he thinks there's only three and a half teams that can win the title. <sighs> That's not as much fun. I'm with you on Memphis. Last night I asked my son, who do you want? He goes, oh, no question, Memphis. Yeah, you want think, Memphis? They're the funnest team to watch. You want them to win, but I didn't even know they were eight behind Phoenix. Um, Phoenix yeah, is obviously the best team. I, I I thought they were closer than that. Listen, this this week Adam Candy has spent telling me that we are disrespecting the Phoenix Suns 
because the Phoenix Suns are really good. They've been good all season. Okay. They went to the NBA Finals last year, and we should be talking about them as the undoubted favorites to come out of the West. Like, shouldn't even be a conversation who's coming out of the West. But we don't. We we are like, hey, the Warriors could do it if they get healthy. Hey, the Grizzlies are fun. Like, so yeah, we we might be disrespecting Phoenix, and I think that's just because I'm I'm already bored of Phoenix. They haven't even been here very long, and I'm bored of them. <laughs> I was thinking like, uh, watching them last night against the the. Uh... Lakers, I'm like, I don't want to see them, and I don't want to see them in a once again in the in the uh, in the NBA right. Finals. I don't know exactly what it is, but I'm kind of like, yeah, all right, I'm over Phoenix. That can be a one year thing, but it probably won't be. They'll be back. Coming up next, we'll jump into some Major League Baseball as they're going to allow pitchers and catchers to avoid getting their signs stolen. But first, we have tickets to go see Megadeth. They're coming to Michelob Ultra Arena on Saturday, April 9th, and we got a pair of tickets for you. 702-364-1100 is the phone number. If you want to go see Megadeth this Saturday, 702-364-1100, we'll take caller number five. Major League Baseball is almost here. Opening day is tomorrow, but we have an important update. We are going to have technology to prevent teams from stealing signs it's happened in spring training it actually happened in college baseball as well i think vanderbilt was the ones that were doing it but if you have seen it in spring training the catcher has a wristband there are buttons on the wristband that communicates to a listening device the pitcher is wearing and can tell the pitcher what pitch to throw as opposed to the traditional fingers to give signs to the pitcher this would prevent teams from being able to steal signs both legally with a runner on second and you know looking in and seeing oh that's a fastball and also illegally through you know cameras or whatever other technology you'd know that nobody would do that no you you'd know best about that um teams don't have to use it teams can still use the regular just put your fingers down or whatever but uh the story that buster only wrote at espn said that uh, the te- a lot of people that have used it in spring training seem to love it and seem to think it's really good. Um, I don't think I'm going to... I think it's a big deal in terms of uh, like it's an advancement for the sport and baseball seems to actually be like trying to get out ahead of something and being like, oh, this we can adopt this pretty quickly as opposed to taking four years. But I, I think like give, two years from now, I don't even think we'll talk about it, right? Like two years from now, it's just going to be a normal part of the game. It's like, yep, that's that's how it always is. I just really want them to do this in, for the times that the system breaks down and they're crossing people <laughs> up and he's crossing, he's crossing the poor guy up. And the guys in the infield don't position themselves based on pitch because they're positioning themselves wrong because you know with technology at some point it's going to break down. You know that. I mean, I was on a plane yesterday. Don't don't buy the wireless. It doesn't work. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Well, sure. Oh, nightmare. Yeah, sure. Don't buy that's, the wireless. It doesn't work. That's that's the worst part of your entire trip. Yeah, exactly. You <laughs> didn't tell it. That that is unbelievably yeah. bad. If I got on a plane and they said don't buy the Wi-Fi, that's a nightmare. If, if the, and was that your Houston to Vegas flight? That was the Houston to Vegas flight. That was, oh, yeah, it's that a was long, long. Oh, that was that's long a nightmare. Flight. No, that's a nightmare. Take me back to the Houston airport. Let's go. I'll 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 del- I'll get delayed even more. Um. The other part that I look forward to is when we eventually get like the New England style, New England Patriots style, somebody trying to hack into the listening devices of the pitcher to get the signs and get the pitch that's coming and relay that to their own hitter. That's going to be exciting too. Like they're they're listening in the dugout as well. 
Right. They find a way to hack into it. They listen into the, well, the, the hackers, whatever. Man, they... nowadays kids, you'll get some kid who's like right. sixteen who'll be in the dugout, like pushing and <laughs> pushing in buttons or something like that, and he'll be telling them what's coming. Uh, the Astros hire a fourteen-year-old yes. kid. <laughs> All of a sudden, it's like, why is that twelve-year-old in the Astros dugout? Is that someone's kid? Is that the manager's son? They. they why does he have hitting... a MacBook? They stop hitting in September because he had to go back to middle school. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Leaves his computer there. So I'm. I think it's fun to see, but I, I honestly think this is going to become the norm, and we're not even going to think about it like next season, maybe after that. I'm sure there'll be some holdouts to like, no, show me the fingers. That's the only way I can do this. The other uh, fun part of this story, though, yesterday came from a tweet from Jesse Rogers, who apparently Tony La Russa, manager of the White Sox, was asked about this. And I'm just, just, just going to read to, uh, Jesse Rogers' tweet here. Tony La Russa likes the new PitchCom technology. The White Sox will use it. But he reiterated his idea to eliminate sign stealing. Have the runner on second turn his back and face center field as the catcher gives the sign. And he's not joking. And you'd have the center fielder tell him to turn around when the sign is given, like they'd yell. How would the guy know when to turn around? Like the pitcher would say, Jimmy, turn around. I mean, oh, my God, Tony La Russa. What in the world is this guy talking about? I like the pitch, the pitchcom technology. I like that. I'm with you. I think, uh, I think in a few years they'll probably all be using it because it'll probably work, and they'll say, okay, we're not going to let anyone else have an advantage. But to have a guy on turn, I mean, it would be funny. We'd be laughing at it. But I, my, my first thing when I read this is like, how's he no one back to turn back around? It is, and and unreal. is he taking a lead at that point because he can get picked up? Yeah. He get picked off every play. <laughs> I mean, is he turning his back from He'd have to be standing on second base. He can't take the lead if he's turning around. I love your idea that the center fielder has to tell the guy, the runner. On the other team, he's got to tell him, hey, you're good. You're You're good. good. Turn Turn around around now. Turn around. Yeah, take your lead. Uh, It's it's such a terrible idea. I don't even, when he says he's not joking, I don't believe it. He's got to be joking, right? That cannot be a real suggestion. He's 150. No, he's not joking. (laughs) 